0: Hi everyone, I'm Mai Lang from the Climate Tracker Network and welcome to the very first episode of Climate Tracker Specials Asia as we take a deep dive into the media industry in the region. So, a couple of facts that you might not know yet, do you know that some editors and journalists in Vietnam believe that it is their duty to advocate for a clean energy transition and are willing to criticize government policies despite being literally owned by the government? How about this? Thai media is very keen on covering community opposition to power plants and played a big role in bringing about a coal moratorium in northern provinces. Well, if you want to hear more about interesting facts like this, we are joined today by two climate tracker media research fellows. Nguyen and Sipachai have toiled for three long months to try and answer the question, how are the region's leading outlets reporting on coal and renewables? This is part of Climate Tracker's most ambitious media research project by far, supported by the Stanley Center for Peace and Security. Okay, welcome Win and Sipachai. How are you
1: both feeling today? Hi, Mai and Sipachai. Very excited to be here. <laughs>
2: Same, same here, same here. I'm a bit, um, actually a bit uh, tired from school today. So,
0: did you just get out of school to drive?
2: Yes, actually we have like a five-hour class today.
0: <laughs> oh, wow, that sounds very tiring.
2: No, no, but it's, it's fine, it's fine.
0: How are you, Ian? What have you been up to today?
1: No, just, uh, I work from home today actually. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm thinking about some new projects to do at work. Some beetles.
0: So you're in the ideation phase. It's always the most exciting.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, I guess. Well,
0: I would have been at home today, except the Wi Fi at home sucked. So right now, we're at a coffee shop. Hopefully, that doesn't distract my audio quality. Um, But yes, I'm glad that you're both here with us, despite having very long and productive days, as it seems. And you must be relieved, as well, that now you can just talk about the research, and it's already behind you. Yeah, so,
1: well, I looked at 268 news articles, I believe. and uh, I uh, looked at six media outlets in Vietnam, which have strong digital presence because uh, just like Sipachai, I'm currently not living in my home country. I'm living in Bangkok right now doing a fellowship. And uh, so I just focused on online news sites or online versions of a newspaper uh, yeah, and I think the research topic, the main research topic for the both of us uh, is uh, the same. Uh, we looked at how our um, the media in our home country reports on coal and renewable energy.
2: Yeah, um, for me, I looked at 341 uh, media, I mean, articles from five uh, media outlets and um, so it was really huge volume for me as well but it was it was fun too is it this is my first uh, media research Um, and I looked at um, two mainstream media and one business um, which is a bit mainstream as well one business led Uh, media and then I looked at another one is the digital only um, mainstream media and the last one is the digital only environmental uh, news media so there are some kind of variety in there and yeah I mean that's how I want to see you know the, the kind of the mainstream the different sizes of audience different uh platform uh kind of figure into how these uh Uh, outlets report um, energy news.
0: So both of you looked at, you know, hundreds of articles and you are not even in your home country when you are doing it. Like I think um, our Vietnamese researcher was in Thailand and our Thai researcher was in Korea and you also had a full-time job and there was a pandemic going on. So... What's the most challenging aspect of this whole research process for each of you or was everything so challenging that you can't point out the most challenging one?
1: Yeah, talking about time management. (laughs) Well, I think that's surely a big challenge. You know, doing this research, which is supposed to be a part time research while you have a full time job like Yeah, I have some like sleepless nights. (laughs) Yes, we all did. It (laughs) was a lot of fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But um, speaking about the research, I think one of the things that I found the most challenging was doing the framing analysis. So for this research, we're not doing uh, like discourse analysis, but rather framing analysis. And this is quite a new concept to me. So it took me some time to get used to like, breaking down news articles and look for framing devices uh, that were used by the journalists.
2: The, the most challenging for me was the time. Um, so we ha- I collected 341 articles and then like I had to go through the, all these articles you know one by one, one by one and it was like we have to finish the coding within like two weeks or three weeks or something. But the, the thing is that I said it, it was, it, it just, it just the, the numbers were, were quite a lot for me. And the thing is because it was, I was rushed a bit during this two weeks. So I was not really confident with my, uh, my first coding. The coding basically means that like we set up some kind of um, categorization in the, in the, uh, Spreadsheets, and then we analyze. You know, uh, the how many sources each article use. Um, how the media frame the the energy. Like, is it positive, and what kind of energy was mentioned? So something like that.
0: After doing all of those um, processes, like content analysis, framing analysis, and interviewing the journalists, we and Zapatchi, what. Finding stood out most to you at the end of the research? Uh,
1: well, I found a lot of interesting things. And I even wrote a blog about it. But I think if that's one thing that I kept thinking about was uh, this is not really a surprise, but uh, this is something that I didn't find uh, during the data collection, but something that I noticed during the um, ana- analyzing uh, stage. Um, It was uh, whenever renewable energy was mentioned in the articles um, that I analyzed, they often meant um, solar and wind energy. So in general, the journalists um, that I interviewed uh, excluded hydropower in the discussion on renewable energy. So to them, renewable energy means uh, clean energy or uh, they call the new form of energy and hydropower, and coal to them are um, traditional energy. They use the word traditional <laughs> energy. Um, yeah, so, um, um, well, it's just that I didn't pay attention to it. But now I kept thinking, okay, this is something interesting. Maybe I should look more into it. Because um, in uh, the ser- the article searching stage, uh, I use some keywords. Uh, to look for articles uh, but I didn't use the word uh, hydropower actually I used the word renewable energy so I ended up with very little news uh, articles uh, that uh, included uh, hydropower Uh, so that stuck with me and I think I will have to like think about it more
0: yeah, I mean, I think there's also the fact that hydropower has a long history of having caused certain environmental and ecological damage in Vietnam and in Thailand as well, right, Spach? I, uh, both of you talked about that in your report as one of the reasons why it's usually hydropower is usually not considered a renewable energy.
2: For this research, I mean, the hydropower really and uh, account a lot of the total uh, news articles. And it's quite interesting because this uh, issue in Thailand is actually related to other countries as well, because um, most of the hydropower projects that were reported in the news were constructed in, on the Mekong Mekong River, which is, um, is flew past five uh, Southeast Asian countries so and and these projects actually have some effects to the 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 uh, downstream uh countries yeah for example if um because these um the hydro power projects that come with uh, big massive dams right so they would um the 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 projects would be able to store the water so when the project store the water or release the water, it affects the lives of the people who live in downstream. That's why uh, a lot of uh, Thai news uh, report about hydropower really projected or they use, word, uh, they use some certain kind of uh, words like uh, Lao dams or China dams. Because also there are a lot of dams in the upstream uh, Mekong River in China, so it, it became some kind of like environmental very
0: politicized issue. Politicized, yeah. and
2: also it really uh, had a big impact on the environment, the fish, the people, economy. Yeah, so that's why it's quite interesting that uh, in, Thai, in in my report that a lot of uh, news article. A big chunk of article really frame the hydropower as the geopolitics issue.
0: But how about coal? How, how is coal talked about in your foreign supply?
2: Coal is not a popular, I mean, it's not really a popular topic in Thai media. And it's because maybe the uh, development of coal-fired power plants has been halted in, in Thailand for um, decades. And that really stemmed from the envi- environmental protests. The majority of article that related to coal frame it as uh, negatively, frame coal negatively, like uh, they portray coal as dirty or harmful to health. And also one of very, I, I find a very interesting way they did was that they connect um, the air pollution crisis in Bangkok with the historical kind of historical context uh, in other countries. For example, they use um, the, the smog, smog crisis in the UK or uh, one article um, talk about how, you know, the ways that China, uh, Beijing reduced the air pollution was to shut down uh, the coal-fired plants. Something like that.
0: How about Vietnamese media? I mean, the Vietnam government was very big on coal in the past decade, right? So is the media buying that or not really? Uh,
1: Well, yeah. So coal is actually still big in Vietnam. Um, But uh, uh, according to some journalists that I interviewed, uh, they said that there have been massive changes in uh, terms of like how the government is trying to uh, push uh, forward more renewable energy and cutting back on coal. Um, But um, also like there are also other uh, narratives like uh, there can be like a new kind of technology that can help produce clean, so-called clean coal, Uh, and that's also reported on the media. So reading those articles make me really worry because they can be misleading and, uh, yeah, and really make as an excuse for the government to keep pursuing coal. Um, But there are also journalists who are really fighting really hard to, like, uh, um, tell the people the uh, bad impacts of uh, the, the impacts of coal and the bad side of coal. So, uh, I think I feel hopeful for the future. Uh, but um, there are changes uh, along the way, but they're not happening fast enough, I think.
0: Yeah, so we're, we're starting to see, I think in Vietnam, the pendulum is swinging in the direction of less coal and more renewables. But it remains a question. Um, to be seen whether, you know, it will continue going that way or maybe some excuses like, oh, there can be clean coal. Maybe that could halt um, the, like, coal phase out, I'd say, or the, the falling out of love with coal that we're starting to see in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, but Nguyen, you said you're hopeful. So can you talk about, like, a specific article maybe that um, made you feel more hopeful about the future of energy reporting in your
1: country? There's one article uh, written by uh, journalist Le Quynh, she's uh, like um, a very well-known veteran environmental journalist uh, in uh, the south of Vietnam and uh, she wrote this investigative story on coal power plants that I analyzed like our nearly 300 stories and this is a very rare investigative story focused on coal Um, And it started with a community member talking about her living condition. And she lives like only 500 meters away from a big uh, coal fired power plant in the Northern Central Coast region of Vietnam. Um, Yeah, and as um, like from my uh, research, uh, there are not uh, a lot of articles that quoted ordinary people uh, especially the the uh, local people who are uh, being affected directly by the development of uh, energy projects. So that's why Leguin's story is very important to you know paint the picture uh, to make us think um, how uh, ill planned um, energy projects can have an impact on. Um, uh, a personal life and can lead to uh, a lot of like health issues and social issues as well. Um, and what I found interested uh, in the story uh, was the, the back backstory of uh, uh, Legwin going to the field and report on the topic. Actually, um, she first visited uh, the site uh, with uh, a few other journalists from other news uh, organization as well, but she was the only one who could get a story published, which is very sad because I think um, in mainstream media uh, of Vietnam, coal can still be considered like a sensitive topic. You can talk about coal, of course, but like can, how much can you criticize big uh, coal power plants uh, is the question. Uh, And only like very bold and brave journalists and news organization can be more vocal than the others.
0: Yeah, but it's certainly very inspirational that there are people like Lefwing who goes out there and does that
1: despite the potential list, right? Yes, definitely. And those kind of stories make me feel hopeful for the future. How are you, Sipatchai? Are you
0: hopeful or terrified of the future? And what's one story that um, gives you that feeling?
2: For the energy coverage in Thailand, I am not really help, hopeful actually.
0: Really? Tell us more. I mean, coal is on its way out in Thailand. It's never a big thing.
2: No, no the thing is what what I'm saying is that uh, well I mean for the renewable energy sector of course is is very hopeful um, that because Thailand they push for more renewable energy in the uh, the, 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 the the power development plan however I this is I'm talking about the media coverage because uh, most of the media coverage I mean the media outlets when they report about energy issues they they really focus on the status views or views from the companies, from the energy companies. So basically, it's a very one-sided, um, one-sided view in the news, and that also can sometimes it can provides it can give some bias or not really well routed information. So basically, even though the industry. Um, and, and also and, uh, and also um, these one-sided views sometimes they don't really report you know they're, they're not very critical of the energy projects that could really impact pe- uh, affect people um, and with the digital disruption today in Thailand, the media industry is downsizing um, and there are basically a lot of environmental news desks have been closed down because um, they're not, you know, lack of interest uh, from, the, from the general public or from the media's uh, uh, management, whatever. So basically, um, a lot of, uh, there's one uh, journalist I talked to during this research. She's a veteran, kind of like environmental journalist who's been working about this for a long time. So she said that, the env- environmental news and the news that critical of development projects are very decreasing because of money, because of the industry, there's a shrinking and something like that. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit, um, so that's why I'm not really, uh, really feeling positive about if, you know, the, the media coverage in Thailand can provide better under- understanding of in this industry, this really monopolized industry, this kind of the industry that can have a lot of impact to environment and people.
0: Okay, thank you so much, Ween and Supacha, for joining us today. No,
2: thank you. Thank you as well.
0: Thanks for having me. That's it for the episode today. This is my home for Climate Tracker Specials Asia. And if you want to comment, suggest, or give us any feedback, you can email us at podcast at org.